Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Wow, incredible. Think about all the lives that have changed because of um, people that have adopted, foster families, safe families. Uh, Let's just, as a church, let's just thank all the people at our church that have done that. Let's just thank them right now for their... And there are great opportunities for you to serve still and be involved in so many of those ministries and our care ministries. So many, so many opportunities um, just to love somebody in the name of Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for um, Brooke and her story, Lord, with uh, Noah and Romans, Father. We, we thank you for so many other families in our church, Lord, that have given to themselves whether it's through safe families, Lord, or adoption, or foster parents, or, or a CASA, or so many other opportunities in our, in our town, Lord, to minister to these children and these families, Father. Just continue to bless these efforts. Bless these families and what they've done. Thank you for their faithfulness, Father. May we continue to press forward, uh, reaching people here in LaGrange and around the world for the kingdom, Lord. Give us a heart to reach people. Give us a mind, Lord, a desire to, to do more to share more, to be involved. Father, we'll praise your name for everything that you do. Lord, I pray as we open the, the truth of your word, I pray you would just speak clearly to us this morning. I pray that through the power of the Spirit, we would be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Very quickly, before I begin my sermon this morning, I, I just wanted to take a, a moment um, just to talk about something that I know is probably on a lot of our hearts. With the events of the incident last Sunday in Sutherland Springs, Texas, First Baptist Church, we're all very aware of um, safety and security. And I, wanna, I want you to know, first of all, that our church is very aware of that. We, we uh, took time this week to meet with the Sheriff's Department to go over our plan. We have a plan in place, but we want to increase that. We want to be vigilant. We want you to come and feel safe. Uh, We want to put things in place that will allow us to worship freely. And so if you're interested in being part of that plan, we've got a couple clipboards down front here at the end of the service. We want you just to put your name down. Several have already called in this week and expressed interest, and so we want to plug you into that plan and get you involved. And so if you're interested, sign your name on on one of the two clipboards, uh, and we will call you in the next week or so and let you know how you can be more and more involved in that plan. And just uh, kind of a, a side note to that, but maybe the most important thing, let's continue to pray for that church. Pray for that pastor. And uh, the congregation that's left and all that that entails, um, just a horrific thing. But, you know, God's in control. We serve a sovereign king. And even though we don't fully understand and and probably never will, he does. And so we praise his name even in the darkness. And we praise his name even in the difficult times. And so uh, just continue to pray for them and continue to pray that God would do uh, miraculous things in that church, okay? All right, let's take our Bibles and open to Acts chapter 6 this morning. Acts chapter 6. I've got in my notes here, I forgot to tell you guys, uh, the last couple of weeks, as you're opening into the book of Acts, uh, I had the opportunity to be involved with the Truth Baptist Association annual meeting um, uh, a few weeks ago, and they asked me to preach, and they gave us an award. I didn't even know we were going to be getting an award. They called me up before it started, and, and I want you to be proud. They're always kind of a year behind in their awards, so this is 2016. I was unaware of this until the meeting, but in 2016, Rosemont baptized more people than any other church in the True Baptist Association. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? 
I, I had no idea, but I praise the Lord for that. And we're going to keep up the good work and just allow the Lord to work in our hearts. So we're going to continue our sermon series this morning. We've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. It's a process and a walk through the book of Acts. It's a reminder of the power of the Spirit. It's a reminder of the first century, the apostles and the work of the apostles. And uh, we got a lot to say, and I don't have a lot of time to say it this morning. So let's jump right in. There's some good things. I want to remind you, first of all, where we were last week, because we're just going to pick up and run with this. This week, uh, there was some things we learned last week about the early church and the problems they had in feeding the widows. And so in the midst of the issues that they dealt with, in the midst of the problems they were having, the early century church called the first original deacons, seven original deacons. We read about that, talked about that last week. And I want to draw your attention before we jump into Acts chapter 6 again. One man in particular, I'm going to read it for you. I don't think we have it on the screen, but just uh, you'll remember it from last week. As the apostles and the church called the original seven, Acts chapter 6 verse 5 says this, what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose, and they're about to give a list of the seven, but the first one they chose is Stephen. And in verse 5 of Acts 6, he's described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I told you last week to set his name aside and remember, because we'd come back to it, Stephen is going to do some pretty incredible things. So let's pick up his story now in Acts chapter 6. We have this on the screen, I believe, beginning in verse 8. Now we got a lot to cover. We're going to do the rest of 6. I'm going to summarize most of 7. We're going to end up at the end of 7 and see what we can learn from the Lord this morning. So Acts chapter 6, beginning verse 8. If we got that one, did I give that one to you? That's my fault. I didn't give her that one. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. We'll just read it from the scripture and we'll have it up here in just a few minutes. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great and great wonders and signs among the people. Now let's remember, we're always tying back to Acts 1-8. Right? When, when, when you, uh, when you, you guys probably don't want to remember this, but when you write a paper in college or graduate school. There's supposed to be a thesis statement. Everything ties back to this idea, the main statement of the paper. The main statement of Acts is 1-8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Right? So everything flows out of Acts 1-8. Right, we see growth, we see power. Stephen is filled with grace, he's filled with power, he's doing great and wondrous things. And verse 9, some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, and of the Cyrians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. Right, So Stephen's doing good things, the Spirit is working through him. These people rise up against him because they're not happy with what he was saying. Verse 10, I love this statement, Lord, let this be said of all of us, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And wouldn't you like somebody to say that about you? Wouldn't you like somebody to say, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about what that guy's saying, but I can't stand up against the wisdom and the spirit that's speaking through him. Verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, right, so they're going to lie now about him because they can't stop him. We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, right? So they arrest him as has already happened with Peter and John, as has already happened with the original 12. They arrest him now. They bring him before the council, verse 13, and they set up false witness who said, 
This man never ceases to speak words against his holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And this is important. We'll come back to it in a few minutes. Gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Right, so Stephen is arrested, they lie about him, they're about to do horrific things to him. He says now in Acts chapter 7 verse 1, as the high priest said to him, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. Now let's pause right there for a second. Over the next 50 chapters of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is going to preach this incredible sermon. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. We're going to talk about it. But I want to skip the sermon itself just for a minute. We're going to come back to it. And I want you to notice how he ends. Because just remember, Stephen is in front of the council that had arrested Peter and John. The council that had arrested the apostles. The religious leaders that had crucified Jesus months before. He understands their power. He understands their authority. We would kind of expect him, at least from the fleshly side, to power maybe to beg for forgiveness to try to get out of this instead verse 51 look at what Stephen says of Acts chapter 7 you stiff-necked people (laughs) uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so do you which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law and delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now let's stop for a second, okay? This is important, right? This is a man filled with the Spirit. So we we get this glimpse into the life of Stephen, into his heart, into his thinking. He's filled with the Spirit. He's been arrested. The apostles have already been threatened. He understands the significance of what's going on. So here's the question now we're going to answer as we move through this together over the next few minutes. How did Stephen respond Which means, how did a person filled and led by the Spirit respond? And here's the application for you as we walk through this together this morning. How should a person, how should you, being led by the Spirit, respond in difficult circumstances? Here's a man facing difficulty. Here's a man facing a very challenging situation. He's being led by the Spirit. How he responds should be a template or a model for how we respond in difficult moments. You understand that? Because, because we all face difficulties, don't we? we? We all face tragedies. We all face struggles. And so in your mind right now as you're walking through this and you're applying this to your life, you're asking yourself, you know, what, what I'm going through right now, and you all are going through different things and struggles, what I'm going through right now, how am I responding? Am I responding in a Christ-like way, being led by the Spirit? Stephen is going to give us that model. So here's the first truth I want you to see. It's going to Tie back into a sermon, which we're going to go back through here in just a minute. Here's truth number one. When facing difficulties, the Spirit-filled person understands that the Lord is in control of all things. Right? If you're facing a difficulty, a tragedy, a struggle of some sort, if you're being led by the Spirit, the first thing you ought to understand, the first thing you ought to recognize is that the Lord is in control of everything. Now, Stephen's sermon is incredible, and I'm not going to read the words of his sermon. I would highly encourage you to go back and read it. But here's what Stephen's going to do. Stephen is basically going to summarize the Old Testament. 
And so if you were looking in chapter 7 at Stephen's sermon, verses 2 through 8, that's Abraham, right? So he goes back and he talks about Abraham, Abraham's calling, the promise of the Lord upon Abraham, calling him to the land that he wouldn't know, but he would lead him there and guide him in the covenant with Abraham. It's all about Abraham. Verses 9 through 19 are the deliverance through Joseph. You may remember Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, goes to Potiphar's house, goes into prison, eventually rises up to interpret the Pharaoh's dream. They put him in charge of all of Egypt, and he saves them from the famine. Then Moses comes along in verses 20 through 34. He delivers the people of Israel. And then in verse 35, this is kind of the turning point. This is, this is kind of where, where Stephen begins to kind of poke a little bit at the council because he talks now about the people of Israel rejecting the Lord. Like Moses goes up a mountain. While he's up there, they build the golden calf. They stray away from Moses. They stray away from the Lord. There's a rejection of the things of the Lord. And then Stephen kind of brings it home, right? He's painted the picture of the Old Testament. He's painted the picture of the Lord being in control. He's painted the picture now of the religious leaders ignoring God and ignoring the commands of God. And then back to verse 51, he now pins it on these people. But you guys have done the same thing. And in fact, you killed in verse 50. Pull verse 52 up if you would for me, please. Which of the prophets, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced before him the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Right there, we talked about Peter early in the book of Acts, kind of the finger in the chest. This is Stephen doing the same thing. You're the one, counsel, Stephen says, that rejected Christ. You're the one that betrayed him. You're the one that murdered him. Now it's interesting the way, if you pull verse 51 back up for me please, just for a second, how Stephen calls these people. How Stephen explains what these people are doing. He says they're stiff-necked, they resist the spirit, uh, their, their uh, fathers persecuted the prophets. But there's one in particular that I want you to notice because I think it's very interesting and I think it applies a lot to our lives. Right? He calls them stiff-necked, but then he says they're uncircumcised in heart and ears. Now I'm not going to explain exactly what that means. Right? You kind of figure out the physical circumcision. We get that from the Old Testament. We know that, right? So what here, let, let, me, let me put this kind of in layman's terms. Here's what Stephen is saying to these people. You've been changed physically on the outside, right? There's a physical change through circumcision. But your hearts and your ears have not changed. Now, that's important because here's what that means. Here, here's the application for you right now. These religious leaders were putting on a show. They were hypocrites. Right, they, they had changed on the outside. They said the right things. They did the right things. They sounded really good. All the things you would expect them to say on the outside were right. But inside, they were sinful and rejected the Lord. This is the same thing Christ said to the religious leaders. You may remember. Matthew chapter 27, chapter 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now let's apply that to your life right now. I want, I want to be very clear because I want you to kind of maybe re-examine your heart just for a second. Billy Graham made a statement years ago. I don't know if it's true or not, but Billy Graham said it. It must have some weight, right? He says, this is his opinion. 
He believes between 70 and 80% of the people that attend church regularly are lost. <laughs> Y'all are like, what? Who's he talking about? Right, you're looking around. Let me say it again. 70 to 80% of the people in the churches are lost. That's Billy Graham's opinion. That's just his thought. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying it ought to make us think based on these words of Stephen, based on the words of Christ. Are we living one way on the outside simply because we want people to accept us and on the inside we've never changed? We, we ought to ask ourselves that question. Because that's the heart of what Stephen's getting at here. You guys rejected Christ. You murdered him. You're acting one way. You've been changed physically. You give the outward appearance of certain things, but your hearts have never really changed. We, we need to be careful that we're not just putting on a show that our Christianity is real. So we contrast Stephen. Pull point back up for me. Pull point one back up, please. We, well, we've contrasted now Stephen, the spirit-filled man that understands the Lord's in control with the unspirit-filled leaders that have rejected Christ and are just putting on a show they're hypocrites, right? That's the comparison. So Stephen is filled with the Spirit. He understands that God's in control of all things. Now let's continue. You would imagine, look at verse 54, pull that up. You would imagine that these religious leaders at this point probably are not real happy with Stephen. Right? Because Stephen's on trial, right? They're supposed to be accusing him. They're supposed to be questioning him. He's turned the tables, questioned their authority, accused them now of being hypocrites. Look at how they respond in verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. We'll get to Saul here in just a few weeks. But here's the second truth I want you to see. When facing difficulties, we need to understand, first of all, that the Lord is in control of all things. But number two, the Spirit-filled person remains focused on Christ. If you're facing difficulties in your life, the Spirit should lead you to remain focused on Christ. Now, there's some interesting things about Stephen that we read. Back at the beginning part of Acts chapter 6, the Bible tells us that when he was first arrested, they looked at his face and they thought that his face was of an angel, which is an interesting thing to say. If you think back to the Old Testament, Stephen had already been talking about Moses and Abraham. You may remember the story of Moses in Exodus 34. Moses went up on the mountain to get the commandments from the Lord up on Mount Sinai. When he came back down, the Bible says that Aaron and the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Right? He'd gone up to be with the Lord. The glory of the Lord had shone upon him. His face glowed. It's the same sort of idea we see with Stephen. Right? People have seen him, they recognize that something is different about him, but then Stephen, this is important, looks up into heaven and he sees the glory of the Lord. He sees two things, the glory of the Lord and then he sees the Son of Man. Now the glory of the Lord is something we see all through Scripture. You can go back in the Old Testament and you can read about it in the New Testament. You, you may remember that when Jesus was born, the angels came in Luke chapter 2. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
We could define the glory of the Lord as His honor, as His beauty, as His brilliance. Sometimes it's the, the physical light, the brightness that surrounds Him. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Right, so, so Stephen saw the glory of the Lord, but this, this is important for us, right? As we walk through difficulty, we're trying to learn from Stephen. Stephen, in, in the midst of this council, had been arrested. They've, they've gnashed their teeth against him. They're, they're rushing him. Bad things are about to happen. I want you to notice something about 55. Pull that back up for me, if you would, please. Verse 55. Stephen doesn't look at this moment at, at his accusers. Stephen, Stephen doesn't look for an escape. Stephen, Stephen doesn't look at the ground. Instead, full of the Spirit, he gazed where? Say it. He gazed where? Into heaven. Man, in, in difficult moments, sometimes we look everywhere but to the Lord, don't we? You, you ever done this? You ever struggled with a situation in life and, and you've tried to fix it first? You ever done that? Well, we all have, haven't we? And sometimes that rocks on for weeks or months or years. And, and maybe at some point you have this epiphany. You've been trying to deal with it for, for many months or for many years or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden you realize, you know, I probably should pray about this. <laughs> And, and for some of us, un unfortunately, it's kind of the last thing we do, right? We fix it and we work on it and we try to correct and we do all. And then eventually we decide to pray about it. I would say to you in, in, the, in the, the vein of Stephen and what he did, the first place we ought to look is to Christ. The first place we ought to look is to Jesus. And we, we deal with those difficult moments. We, we, we go all kind of places but to the Lord, don't we? Some, some of us look to the world for answers. And self-help books or certain authors or movies or TV shows. Some people look to addiction for help. Some people look within themselves for help. Stephen, filled with the Spirit, looks into heaven. And he sees two incredible things. The first thing he sees is the glory of the Lord. We've already talked about that. His face is shown like an angel. He looks and he sees the glory of the Lord. But the other interesting thing is he says Jesus. And, and those of you that kind of know your scripture will see kind of the, the strangeness of this verse. He sees Jesus doing what? standing at the right hand of the Father. What's the big deal? Well, every other case we read about Jesus, he's sitting. That's what the Bible says. He goes to sit at the right hand of the Father. Now, scholars have debated this for centuries. Does it mean something? Is it important? Is it not? Most of them have kind of settled in on this idea. They think, and this is their opinion because the Bible doesn't say, but they think that Jesus is, is basically standing to honor the sacrifice of Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr, the first one that's given up his life for the sake of the gospel. Jesus is welcoming his servant into heaven by standing and greeting him. One scholar said it like this, Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. It's a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of Stephen and the faithfulness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, so we see this spirit-filled man, he, he's following the Lord, he's trusting the Lord, he's aware of the glory of the Lord, he's looking to heaven even in his darkest hour. Now let's finish this up, verse 59. As they were stoning Stephen, right? And so just in case you don't know, without being graphic, they're literally taking large rocks and they're throwing them at Stephen as hard as they can to kill him. So as they're stoning him, as they're throwing the rocks, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, right? So he knows his time is at hand. 
Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice. Now this is the final words of Stephen on this earth. Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. Here's the third truth. I'm going to go ahead and warn you, this is the hardest one. When facing difficulties, number three, the spirit-filled person forgives others. That's hard for some of y'all to hear. When facing difficulties, the spirit-filled person forgives others. Now, the Bible's filled with this idea of forgiveness. Well, we could read so many verses. I won't give you just a couple. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Probably the greatest example is Luke 23 when Jesus is on the cross before he dies. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let me give you a a biblical truth about forgiveness that's going to be hard for some of you to swallow, but you need to process and pray through it. Forgiveness isn't really related to the response of the other person. Let me say that again. Forgiveness isn't really related to the response of the other person. See, here's what a lot of people want to do. I'll forgive them as long as they act sorry. Or I'll forgive them if they'll come and grovel at my feet a little bit and tell me what a terrible person they are. Or I'll forgive them if, and you've kind of got this list, and every list is different, but we all have one. I'll forgive this person if, and as soon as they check those things off the box and they do what they're supposed to do, then you're willing to forgive them. The only problem with that is it's not what the Scripture teaches. Jesus didn't look down from the cross and say, are you guys sorry now for doing this? Huh, can y'all grovel at my feet and tell me what a terrible job you've done? Can somebody ask me for forgiveness? Jesus didn't say, he just says, Lord, just forgive them. Stephen doesn't look up to these guys and say, are y'all going to say you're sorry for this? Somebody want to make this up? Somebody want to do something to help me here? He doesn't say any of those things. He just says, listen, forgive them, Father. If you're waiting on the other person to do something before you forgive them, you may be waiting your whole life. And I'm just telling you, folks, that's going to lead to bitterness and anger and suffering on your part. So here's some just real quick truth about forgiveness. I want to give it to you just real quick as we finish up. When you forgive somebody, that does not mean that the wrongs done to you were acceptable. We're not letting them off the hook. We're not saying it's okay they did it. We're just forgiving them in the spirit of Christ. And by the way, forgiveness is, is way more about you than it is the other person. Did you know that? <laughs> forgiveness does not mean that there are no consequences for the person that wronged you. There might be. The good news is it's not your responsibility to worry about those consequences. Forgiveness does not mean that you're weak. Forgiveness does not depend on the other person's actions. Forgiveness doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. The relationship may still need lots of work, but forgiveness is about how much you trust the Lord to take care of the situation. Forgiveness does set you free to move on with your life. And forgiveness sometimes provides an opportunity for reconciliation, which is what it ought to really be about anyway. See, Stephen was led by the Spirit, and even as people were brutally murdering him, he forgave them. How willing are we to forgive others that wrong us? Some of you are familiar with the story of Jim Elliot. 
Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador in the 1950s. He was a missionary to the Alka Indians. You've probably seen the movie, The, the End of the Spear, I think. And, and he was a missionary in Ecuador because he wanted to reach this group of people that were unreached. They had never heard the name Jesus. They didn't speak English, obviously. Nobody had ever gone in and shared. And the Lord just laid upon his heart a burden for these people. And so Jim Elliott and several other missionaries moved. They started reaching out, trying to make contact with these people. Tried to figure out a way to get in and speak to them. And they just felt led by the Lord uh, during this process one day to go in and share the gospel. They sent a message back to their wives that they were going in. Little did they know it would be the last message they'd ever send. Because they went into these Alka Indians and all five of them were brutally murdered. Killed. Now most of us, and I just always kind of think through this, what would I do? If a family member of ours had been brutally murdered, our response may have been a little bit different than we see because here's what happened. Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, and ladies, my wife can attest to this, if you've never read Elizabeth Elliot, you ought to read her. I'm just telling you, you won't regret it. Incredible godly woman. This is the wife of the man who was murdered. Instead of being angry and, and, and wrathful and trying to take vengeance on these people, she with some of the other ladies, the other wives, decided they were going to continue to minister, continue to pray because of their faithfulness, because of all they did to trust the Lord. They were able eventually to get into this group of Indians to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of them came to Christ because of the faithfulness of Elizabeth Elliot. I'd like to read her words to you. To forgive is to die. It's to give up one's right to self, which is precisely what Jesus requires of anyone who wants to be his disciple. Following Christ means walking the road he walked, and in order to forgive us, he had to die. His followers may not refuse to relinquish his own right, his own territory, his own comfort, or anything that he regards as his. Forgiveness is relinquishment. It's a laying down. No one can take it from us any more than anyone could take the life of Jesus if he had not laid it down of his own will. But we can do as he did. We can offer it up, writing off whatever loss it may entail in the sure knowledge that the man who loses his life or his reputation, or his face, or anything else for the sake of Christ will save it. See, the spirit-filled person is willing to forgive. Spirit-filled person is willing to trust the Lord in all things. The spirit-filled person looks to Christ and to the Lord and follows him regardless of what it costs. Here's the question you have to answer. Are you being led by the spirit? Are you trusting in Christ with your life? God wants to do great things through this church. God wants to do great things in your heart. If you will trust Him and allow the Spirit to use you, He'll take a group of ordinary people and do extraordinary things through us for the sake of His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We praise your name, Lord, for all that you've done. We, we thank you for Stephen and for his faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you've included this passage of Scripture for us to learn from, to understand, and really to model in our lives a spirit-filled man, Father. 
that trusted you to the end, Lord, may we be faithful in our lives. May we be led by the Spirit. May we trust you in all things. May we, may we look to heaven first. May we trust you, Lord. May we, may we forgive others. Use us, Father, for the sake of your kingdom. We, we trust you and love you more and more, Father. May your name receive honor and glory and always say and do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. Altars open. Opportunity for you to pray, speak to me. You respond as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.